0: very thankful to be here this morning to be able to bring a message to you guys. It is a, a, an honor, a joy, and, and uh, something on my heart, is, as Mark said. Um, I've been very thankful to be having been brought up in a home with a mother who feared God and challenged me regularly to study the Word of God, to know it, to learn it, to know Scripture. This sovereign act of God was major, I believe, in the process of bringing me to Christ at an early age, my father was ambivalent to it. I really didn't care much what my mom was doing. She was saved shortly after my birth. That might say something about what she needed because of me. She lived the rest of her life studying Scripture, and I, I really am thankful for that. But unfortunately, she, learned, she leaned quite a bit into hyper-dispensationalism, which prompted her to focus all her attention on the epistles and on Revelation. She really didn't spend much time in the Old Testament or even in the Gospels. After all, the Gospels to her were written to Jewish people and not to the Christians. Christ hadn't died yet, and so she said that that those things really weren't that much for us, that those people were under law, not under grace, and uh, that made those books and that part of the Bible just not that important in in they were for the Jews and, uh, and not the New Testament saints. So I grew up hearing uh, that Matthew through John really um, need not be studied because the things that are in there, the promises contained within there were directed to the Jews or the tribulation saints who would read it at a later date. In fact, I pulled out her old Bible that I have, and it has a tremendous amount of her personal notes, in it. I, I love looking at that sometimes. And uh, I turn to Matthew chapter 5, through chapter 7, and I was amazed there was very, very few notes, even though the rest of the Bible had a lot of, or the the epistles had a lot of notes. There's hardly any notes in this section. Most of the notes that were in there said, four tribulation saints with a big exclamation mark on it. So she kind of thought that's what all these things were for, therefore they weren't that relevant. So for me to have learned that all of salvation throughout all of history really is by God's grace, it's not a law versus grace throughout all history, uh, that was a big change years back, and then Steve certainly reinforcing the Old Testament so much more as we've been through um, different portions of the Old Testament. It reinforced Second Timothy three sixteen that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, per- uh, thoroughly furnished into all good works. So obviously, here at Grace Bible, a lot of all of us have heard from the Gospels, different messages. Uh, we've gone through the book of Mark, and now we're in the book of John. Each of, us, each of these books of uh, the Gospels has a different audience in it, uh, different writers. Matthew is written by a Jew to the Jewish audience, and it records quite a bit of the acts of Jesus performed while he was here on earth. One of the largest sections of Matthew records what we call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, as it's become known. In fact, bunch of our people of our church were just here this week. Heather and, and others, Darren, they were just there at the location that's likely where that probably was preached, um, just north of the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. I know we went there with our group back uh, three years ago that went went there. It was wonderful, wonderful to be there. Because the Bible dedicates so many pages to this text, chapters 5 through 7 really has a significance to us as believers. Without looking, can I want to hear from you guys what do you remember from and what can you speak to of the uh, Sermon on the Mount? what were some of the topics that were covered there blessed are the okay so the Beatitudes okay what else was in there you have heard it said but I say so the contrast this is what the Jews were telling and this is what Christ is telling okay I'll let you cheat a little bit. You can go in and actually open it up and look. Taking care of the poor. There's a, a portion there in that, yeah. You could, loving your enemies, okay. You can open it up and look if, if there's something that'll jog your mind there. Give me some more thoughts of things that you remember once you, once you open up. Oh yeah, I remember this passage. Anything that, that grabs your attention that was something important to you. Highlights. Lord's Prayer is in there, yeah. not being anxious. Yeah, there's there's just a whole bunch. You're you're going to see a whole bunch of stuff in there. Well, I want to visit revisit the Sermon on the Mount this morning, but from a completely different perspective. One from someone who may have been there but did not follow Christ. He was not one of the disciples. In fact, he rejected Christ during his earthly ministry. He was a rebel. Yet he knew far more about Christ than anyone else, almost anyone else there when this message was preached. To those gathered for the Sermon on the Mount. Eventually, though, he would write a book about Christ. In fact, he wrote the very first book, the earliest book that we have written in the New Testament. So, kind of an interesting perspective here. For those of you who have been through BTI, you know what Steve always pushes time and time again context is so important. When was a book written? Who was it written by? What was transpiring at the time? And who was it written to? These are important things for us to know as we look at a passage of scripture. Well, the Sermon on the Mount was likely preached within the first year of Christ's ministry. Uh, He had already done a few miracles. He's now starting to get the attention of quite a few of the Jewish leaders. He'd separated himself from his family. He's gone away from them, and now he's off with the 12 and with the rest of the disciples. Uh, He's about 30 years old or so, and he's traveling quite a bit, which um, included much of his preaching. So w- who would have had the closest personal insight on Christ? It would be his own family. His mom, Mary, his half-brothers and sisters, and, and contrary to Roman Catholic dogma, which says that Mary was then a, uh, a virgin after that time, Mary did have other children. Jesus was her firstborn. Mark 6, three lists James, Joseph. Judas, and Simon. In Galatians 1.19, Paul calls James the brother of our Lord. And because James is always listed first in any list of his brothers, it's logical to assume that he was probably the oldest after Jesus. Wouldn't it be great to get some insight into who Jesus really was from him? Wouldn't that be terrific to know that? Well, we do have something to look at because our New Testament contains the book of James, but we have to consider first who is the author of the book of James. There's quite a few different Jameses listed in the Bible. Uh, there was James, the son of Zebedee, in uh, brother of John. He was rather important at some point, but he was martyred, uh, it says, in Acts 12, 2, which is before the book of James was written, so we rule him out. Two others, James the less, son of Alphaeus, or James the father of Judas, not Iscariot. They've never been considered as serious, by any serious scholars to be the ones who wrote this. So that leaves James the half-brother of Jesus. If you compare the words of the book of James with those of Acts 15, which is a letter that is written by James after the, uh, um, they have the council there in Jerusalem, and you look and there's a lot of similarities in there. Words like greetings, beloved, your souls, visit, keep, and turn. So most conservative scholars agree that the book of James was written by Christ's brother, James. We we do know from James, I'm sorry, from John chapter 7, verse 5, that he rejected Christ. It says, for not even his brothers believed in him. He, they, his family, except for Mary, had rejected him. And he was likely not at the crucifixion, because we hear Christ saying uh, to John, take care of your mother. In John, uh, take care of his mother. In John nineteen twenty seven, but First Corinthians fifteen seven tells us that after Christ's resurrection, he appeared first to James, and then to the apostles. So you can see the time of what he did, and when he went on, though, to became a very prominent leader in Jerusalem, according to Acts twelve seventeen. So something happened there. Somehow. Um, Soon after Christ's resurrection, James finally saw really who Christ was, his half-brother, and he bowed his knee to him. Imagine that scene. Wow, I've lived with this guy my whole life, 30 years I've known him and I missed it. I didn't recognize it. Wow, that'd just be amazing to recognize that. How many of you have had siblings growing up? Yeah, you've had siblings. Well, you knew them pretty good, didn't you? Yeah, you knew him. And how many of you had siblings who were perfect, never did anything wrong? No. <laughs> Imagine the frustration that James had never seen Christ do anything wrong. How frustrating that would have been, always getting in trouble for what he did and never seeing Jesus get any spankings. That's jealousy, and that's envy. Why can he just not get in trouble? And I do. We know that Joseph and Mary knew Scripture, and, and surely they talked often in the home about scriptures, the Old Testament, and I would have loved to hear some of those, you know, thinking of Joseph, knowing that this is a promised Messiah, as the angels had told him, What what is he saying to the, the kids there, you know, the other br- brothers and stuff, you better take care of your brother here, don't, uh, don't mess with him, that'd be really interesting. Um, they were godly parents, that's why they were chosen, not because they were perfect, yet here he is James and his brother is the one who inspired the actual scripture that they're reading and and knows it inside and out. I could just imagine the, the conversations around the dinner table for devotions, evening devotions, you know, how that's going or uh, or maybe in Sunday school there is in Sunday school Jesus would always have the answer when it wasn't Jesus was the answer though, like it is now in Sunday school. Amazing. Is he always had patience when his mom and dad weren't being fair. That would have been just amazing to watch that because um, obviously his parents, just like us parents here at his Father's Day, and I know the times that I incorrectly or I had anger or I had sin in my heart when I was correcting. Imagine Christ being the one that you're trying to correct and you just know that you've messed up with Forget it. If you're James, wouldn't you be kicking yourself after recognizing all this? Why didn't I think? Why didn't I see this? why didn't I ask questions? I can see now that he did what he did in that situation. You know, seeing what Christ said, okay, now I know why he acted in such a way. Or uh, I can see mom and dad asking the questions of, you know, okay, kids, who made the stars and the trees and the moon? And, you know, was it Yahweh? No, I did it. Jesus would be able to say, (laughs) I made them. No, that's not the way things went. So when Christ left to travel for his ministry, I have the feeling James may have gone to check out what he said. Now, what is this about? I've kind of been watching him. I've rejected him. He may have gone to go listen to him. Undoubtedly, he heard these same truths all throughout the first 30 years of his life. I'm sure Christ would have been sharing on such a similar level. So this morning, I want to make a case for the Sermon on the Mount from the book of James. It's, it's really fascinating here. Although James does not mention his own, uh, the fact that he is Jesus' brother in the book of James, that really fits the narrative of the book. The first line of the book sets the stage. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he does not see himself in any position of authority or value because of being Christ's brother. It's, no, I am a servant of this guy he humbly saw that he did not have any elevated position as being his brother. He denied all positional authority as a sibling. He served Christ all the way to martyrdom. So he saw the consistency of this. The main theme of the book of James is true faith is always accompanied by good works. So we want to look at that. So as the author of the very first book written in the New Testament, written around 44 to 49 A.D., just 13 to 17 years, maybe, after Christ's death. James, who was not one of the original disciples, gives us an inspired perspective of his knowledge of the gospel that's not a theological treatise. This doesn't have a lot of deep theology in it, rather a practical guide, really, to daily life as Christians. And I think that's what I like so much about the book of James. It really is practical. And you think about that first church, they're in Jerusalem, they didn't have any New Testament, and so what are they doing? they're rehearsing what Christ had told them they're going back and looking at the old testament scriptures and they're putting Christ oh this is the answer to what was being talked about I've always had a fascination with the book of James Um, even obviously I named my firstborn after him but I've I've never looked at it in this light what the brother of Christ remembered and learned from the sermon on the mount if he was there so it's not going to be a theological content lesson this morning. Rather, hopefully an inspiration for you guys in your personal study to look at ways that Scripture parallels Scripture. How do you interpret one Scripture in light of another, and how do they tie together? That gives us a love for the amazing way that Scripture has been written. Our omnipotent God has given us so much to learn. So that's, why, that's what I want you to get out of this study, is really what how you compare one passage to another to look to inspire you to really study Scripture more. So open your Bibles, if you would, with me to the book of James. And this book has a really short introduction. We already mentioned the intro line, James, a servant of God God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in a dispersion greeting. So this is written by James to Jews who are scattered because of the persecution going on. Likely many of the Jews that are in his congregation are being threatened, are being persecuted, and they're getting out of Jerusalem. It's getting a little too dangerous there. And he's the head pastor by now, so he's in charge of this church. The other, many of the other disciples have either left, gone different places as well. Undoubtedly, he had rehearsed the gospel with them many, many times, and, and they've heard that, and now they've dispersed. They've gone out with them. Um, he also would have then followed the lead of Peter, John, and even Paul. They did the same thing when they had met at the council at Jerusalem. And that's where Paul explained the Old Testament now in light of the New Testament. Seeing what we now know, we can look at the Old Testament and say, Aha, here is the Christ of the Old Testament. So he's taking this and putting it in writing for the, for the first time to, uh, to be able to help those Jews who are being scattered abroad. So rather than reading James now, I want you to stay in James, but I'm going to read a section from the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7, and you get to identify how it matches in with the book of James. never done this in a Sunday school setting. It may be a total disaster. You might walk out of here saying, what in the world was Grant thinking? But we're going to try this for a little bit. If you're listening online, I'm going to be having, um, there, there might be points where you won't hear this, but you can just follow right along in the book of James with us. We're going to try to do this in order. So here we go first matthew five ten through twelve blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Could I have someone read James one, verse two and three, Gabe, you got that? Doesn't that fit? Don't you see the two of those just paralleling right there? There's the exact same thing. Count it joy when you're running into trials. We know that they're running in trials, and this is what Christ talked about, that you're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, let me keep reading here. Matthew five forty-eight. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, Nate, can I have you read James 1, verse 4? So there's how you're perfect is we're going to find out asking God because we know he's going to give us trials and therefore we're going to be perfect if we ask Christ. Um, He'll make us perfect and complete lacking nothing. Matthew 7 verse 7 through 12 from the the, uh, Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek you will find. Knock it will be opened to you. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Uh, Timmy, you want to read uh, verse 5 and 6 of chapter 1? So, James is talking about faith, and what it's like, and we saw back in the Sermon on the Mount that faith is, you ask Christ, he will give you what you need. You will be taken care of. And then you act the same way to others. There's a practicality to both. Matthew six twenty four: No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, Darrell, you want to give me verse 7 and 8? See the parallel there? That we can't serve two masters. And so, again, it follows it. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is part of the, uh, the Beatitudes. Verse 9 through 11. Uh, Fernando, you want to get that? Francisco? Okay, then Bart will get it. Keep going. Verse 11. So that's what poor of spirit is. That's what we should be doing. Love it. I love it. Matthew seven fourteen. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And Matthew five three. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Floyd, you want to give us verse twelve? Okay, then you're excused. You're excused. Uh, Michael. Isn't that what the narrow gate is about? Being steadfast in what we're doing. I just love these parallels. Matthew six thirteen, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us to, from evil. Uh, let's see, uh, we got Jeremy. You want to catch that? Uh, verse 16 to 18. I'm sorry. Uh, 13 to 15. So we kind of expanded on this. What is temptation? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But we aren't tempted by God. We know that. So there's the parallel with temptation and what happens to it. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse six, uh, 25 to 26. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Steve, you want to get verse uh, 16 to 18? See that? See the parallel there? There's a, just, it's just so easy to see a lot of these things. Matthew 5, 21 to 22. You have heard it said that of, of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire verse 19. Uh, Joe, you want to give me verse 19 and uh, 20? And 21? Can you see James hearing, if he was there hearing some of these things, cutting him to back, oh yeah, I remember when I was angry. I remember every single one of these points, he probably was thinking, he's talking just to me. Just like when Steve is preaching sometimes, like I know he's talking to me. He knows what I just did uh, on the way to church with my wife, or whatever it is, seeing those things. Um, But don't be deceived. Every good gift matches exactly of what it is that uh, we know that God will give us all the gifts we need. He takes care of the birds of the air. He takes care of all these things. We need to be those kind of, of a fruit of an example for what he's done for us. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard... Oh, I'm sorry, that was the previous one. Um, Matthew 7, 21 to 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. James 1 verse 22 um, Bob, you want to get that? I'm sorry, go through 25. there's a there's a somewhat of a contrast here true faith is always accompanied by good works as opposed to what Christ was saying hey your good works is not going to get you there you have to have it built on a firm foundation but it's very similar you still have to have that uh, accompanying where the works show what's in your heart and I could see James from the thinking back to the times when he was doing good things just to look good and think oh yeah and my brother knew it He knew what I was after. I remember that time when I took his tinker toys or whatever it is, rode his motorcycle and he wasn't supposed to. Matthew 6, one through four, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And he knew in secret what was going on. Tony, you want to get me uh, James 1, to 27? Yeah, that was only one chapter of James. was not that cool? You saw a whole bunch of parallels there of maybe not exact fit, but you can see how the word of God has so many places where it intersects because it keeps putting patterns and patterns in our mind so we remember it. I think God specifically did that. And we're supposed to take scripture and just peel back the layers piece by piece to see amazing things that God has written. I think that's kind of good about some different Bible reading patterns that are mixed up, not just Genesis through, through Revelation because you get to see Scripture at different parts and God will use that for whatever's going on in your life specifically at that time, things that are going on. Let's look at chapter 2. Matthew five forty through 42. "'And if anyone would sue you "'and take your tunic, "'let him have your cloak as well. "'And if anyone forces you to go one mile, "'go with him two miles.' Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. James chapter two, verse one through four. Uh, Anybody want to read that? Ben, James two, one through four. often isn't, isn't our generosity predicated on our partiality. You know, we'll be generous to the people, and we're being partial to them. So Christ is saying, hey, you need to be generous. You, you need to be, if someone asks you for your, your uh, they sue you to take your tunic, give them your cloak as well, go that extra mile, give the one who begs to you, don't refuse when someone has need. And, and James is saying, don't have partiality. When somebody comes to you and has a need, or whatever it is, don't show any partiality to people. Um, don't make distinction among yourself and judge people's evil thoughts. Matthew 5, 3 and 10, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. James, you want to read uh, James 2, verse 5 through 7? Oh, you have that? Oh, you're not there. I thought you were looking in your Bible there. Chad, you got that? So the answer is to be poor in spirit. Be poor in spirit is what we're supposed to be doing. And that matches exactly Matthew 5, 3 and 10. Matthew 5, 43 to 47. You have heard that is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Verse 8 and 9. Anybody else back in here? Anybody want to read that? Yeah. Oh, Sam. I'm sorry, Sam. I missed you there. Yeah. both passages, emphasizing it's more than just loving your neighbor, isn't it? Just there's more to it. There's always more, which is great. Matthew five nineteen and then uh, six fourteen 14 15 says, "...therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. James 2.10, you can read it right there. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet in one point, has become guilty of all of it. Just sums it up. He went back, and there's that thought of what we're supposed to do. What Christ would have said during the Sermon on the Mount, whoever keeps the whole law yet offends in one point, that's all it takes. You're guilty. We're all guilty of sin. So there is really theology in the book of James. We have to look to see the context. Matthew five twenty-seven to 32, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, there's a lot of teaching that Christ is saying there. James 2:11 through 13. Somebody else want to grab that? Oh, and You can't keep the law. Your unrighteousness requires Christ's mercy. That's what he's saying. It takes judge. He will, he's going to have judgment without mercy. And back in Matthew 5, we see that it's we all are going to fall into this sin, and we need to be not judged, but we need Christ's mercy. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. depart from me, you works of lawlessness. Is this kicking in and out? It is, sorry about that. So the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's a lengthy passage here in James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. Can I have somebody read that? Gabe, you want to read that again? Where Christ is saying, you can't rely on your works to save you, James shifts it slightly, showing that if you're claiming to have faith, it better be accompanied by works. So there's a difference there. Christ obviously would have a different perspective as he's looking because speaking to that crowd who was there, a lot of the Pharisees, a lot of the Jewish people who've been trained, you have to be good enough. And these scribes and Pharisees had set themselves up as being the ones that you have to model because they were so, quote, unquote, good. James because now they've seen what that really is about and Christ has talked about it now shifting around say yeah, faith and works they do work together you need to have the works to show your faith your faith should be outworking itself and so that whole passage there covers that very well on how we should be doing that chapter three you guys doing okay with this it's kind of different as I said it's different Matthew five thirteen to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people hide a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give it light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. For some of you, this passage, if you look back in Matthew, if you look back in Matthew, it has a a subtitle over it, saying a similitude. This is called a similitude for some reason. Give me a hand. Take a, a techie there. Thank you. I'm coming to you in the future next time I need anything, Stacy. It's not quite as clear here, but James talks about the tongue as an example of how we could show our good works. In fact, he uses quite a few uh, metaphors from nature and common things throughout the whole book of James. It's really neat to see the, the nature that he brings in into it and just common everyday life uh, throughout the whole book. James 3, verse 1 through 9. Nate, can I have you read that? Do any of you have the King James Version? Okay, I grew up in the King James Version. What's that last verse say? With it, we bless God the Father, and with it, we curse man who is made in the similitude of God. So King James uses the word similitude, which is exactly what the passage in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount calls this, the similitude. It's a likeness we have to have a likeness of Christ is what we're after. So James talks about the tongue really as an example of how we would use our tongue in the likeness of Christ in the same way that the Matthew 5 passage talked about. We're going to be salt and light and this is how we show our good works. This is how we show we are a light a city on top of a hill. Our light shines before men. Okay, Matthew seven, fifteen to 20 it says, beware of false prophets who come in So let's read James as a parallel passage, chapter 3, verse 10 through 16. Someone want to read that for me, please? Anne, do you want to read that? 10 through 16. So we're really getting to the heart here, is what James is doing, and the Matthew passage, Christ was doing. Good trees bear good fruits. It's going to show what is in the tree, what is being nurtured down in the ground, brought up through it, is going to come out. And the same thing James passage says: salt water and bitter. A tree that's an olive tree isn't going to bear figs. We see that we will be known by our fruit. Moving on, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 and 9. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 17 and 18. I'm going to read that. Okay. You want to know how to have peace. You want to know how to make peace. You want to know how to be a peacemaker. Well, it takes wisdom from above. James just ties the two together beautifully. I don't know there was intentional, but I sure see a, a parallel there. Wisdom is from above, is peaceable. We know that. And in the same way Christ would want us and told us in Sermon on the Mount to be peacemakers. That's how we do it. Moving to chapter 4 of James, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Sermon on the Mount says, Ask and will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For every one who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Verse 1 through 3. Sam, you want to give me that? Of chapter 4. I think it's neat to see how scripture beyond this point as the new testament develops and paul starts writing and you get peter writing you start to see a lot more developing and now we're going to get the theology behind all this as they take what christ has said and what divine inspiration has been given to the different uh, writers of the new testament and we're going to then build theology on this and and that's why we have a complete new testament all scripture is given by inspiration of god um Where are we at here? Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We mentioned this one earlier. Uh, James 4, 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, uh, wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose, the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So we know that God does not want us serving two masters. James is just reiterating that. We'll just go a little bit further. Matthew 5, 3 through 9, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Again, we've used that verse before. Chapter 4, verse 6 through 9. I'm going to read that. Michael, you want to read that? That's how we're blessed are the poor in spirit. That's how we do it. Here's the practical outworking of it. And as a part of that, you're also going to be a peacemaker if you act in that way. Again, from the um, Beatitude portion of it, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Well, James 4.10, the next verse, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's how you do it. Matthew seven, one through five says Judge not that you be not judged, for with a judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with a measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. James four, eleven and twelve. Want to catch that? Heather? Mm-hmm. Great parallel. I mean, we should not be. We should first look at our own selves, as Christ would have said, and James reiterates that. Matthew 6:25 through 34, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious for your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you... By being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan, and why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, "What shall we eat? What shall we drink, What shall we wear?" For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. Think of this as James would have said this, to the Jews that are being scattered abroad from his church. They've now left. They're going out. James four thirteen to 16. Bob, can you get that? that goes along that last verse with you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect in Matthew 5 48 we've just gone through four chapters of James and just seen very similar parallels throughout scripture and so sometimes actually opening up your bible to multiple passages that might be cross references is a great way to see how God in his infinite wisdom has Put scripture together in such a a wonderful way. And if you look at the timing, you look at the history, you look at the context of when things are written, you can understand how they parallel well together. I think Steve does this much better, really, in the Old Testament, talking about Jeremiah and Isaiah and all these different prophets speaking at different times right when other things are going on. That's what I wanted you to walk away from here today. And if we looked at the Beatitudes, they specifically are reiterated in the book of James. That's kind of the nutshell when we think of the Sermon on the Mount, we think of the Beatitudes, but that's in there. So hopefully you saw this, um, that one section taught by Christ, one written by James, the brother of Jesus, about 16 to 17 years earlier. later, it might uh, be that some of the scattered may have heard Jesus' message the very first time. They may have been at the Sermon on the Mount, and they came to Christ, and now they're, they've been part of the church in Jerusalem, they've left out, and so they remember both. What a great parallel for them. While the book of James is often cra- criticized for its lack of doctrine, it was just what the hurting scattered saints needed to be reminded of, that Christ was teaching them. But with James's flair and style precisely as the Holy Spirit wanted to pen the first book of the New Testament. I hope it encourages you to study scripture in such a way to always be interpreting scripture in light of other scripture. Hopefully you learn something. But we just read through for almost the entire book of James in that short period of time, and uh, we covered all of the major issues of the Sermon on the Mount within that. Isn't that neat? Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your Word of truth that we can rely on, as James calls it. That um, what a, a blessed thing it is to know that you have given us exactly what we need for godliness, truth, and all Scripture is given by inspiration from you, and it is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, and it will make us thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Lord, pray that Grace Bible Church is a place where this is known, this is done, and this is shared. Thank you for time in your word. In your name we pray. Amen.